You're listening to Meet the Thriller Author. I am your host, Alan Peterson, and this is the podcast where I interview authors of thrillers, mysteries, and suspense novels. This is episode number 40, and it features an interview with A.C. Fuller, who is an author of media thrillers, and he's also the creator and host of his very own podcast called the Writer 2.0 Podcast, where he uh, interviews uh, award-winning writers and publishing experts. Uh, A.C. has a journalism background. He was a journalist in New York. And he was also an adjunct professor of journalism at NYU. And he now teaches English at uh, Northwest uh, Indian College near Seattle. And he's also uh, teaching writing uh, in the States and uh, internationally. So it was a a great background that he has. We're going to learn more about that and about his uh, media thrillers. Uh, So uh, we're going to be listening to episode 40 here in a sec. I want to ask you to please uh, rate and review this uh, podcast over at iTunes. It really helps get, get the word out. And uh, visit our sponsor, uh, audibletrial.com forward slash MTTA. A lot of great uh, thriller audiobooks that you can download there for free um, through that link. So I appreciate your support. And here is episode number 40 with AC Fuller. Uh, how are you doing, AC? Very well. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for agreeing to uh, come on the show. Your media thrillers, that really got my attention. So I'm really excited to talk to you about that because it's sort of a, a, a new subgenre uh, for me. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, t- yeah. It's a new one for everyone, actually. I've been. <laughs> I've sorry, I'm not trying to hijack your podcast, but I've been writing to Amazon for about a year now saying, hey, why don't you add a genre called journalistic thriller or journalism thriller or media thriller? And I'm hoping they'll do that at some point. Hey, that'll be great. Though. You'll be like the leader of that new subgenre, that category. <laughs> there should be a genre. I mean, they've got legal thrillers. They've mm-hmm. got medical thrillers. They've got all sorts of stuff. I think journalism thriller or media thriller should be a genre. But yeah. When okay. I, when, when I saw your media thriller, it totally made sense. It wasn't like, huh? I was like, oh, that actually makes a lot of sense. Like, that'd be a real cool subgenre. So, uh, But yeah, but can you, uh, before we get into all that, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah. So... Uh, I was, after college, I worked as a chef for a while, but I was also doing freelance journalism just uh, with small papers in New York. Then I was a freelance reporter for a while in New York City. I taught in the journalism school at NYU for two years. So I taught writing, I taught First Amendment law, kind of, uh, and news gathering law, which is all the law relating to journalists. Stuff like, are they allowed to photograph you on the street? Or, you know, are they allowed to climb a tree outside your house and photograph you in your yard? And then all the bigger picture stuff like First Amendment law, freedom of speech and all that stuff. So I taught that at NYU. And then uh, my wife and I moved out to the West Coast, uh, Pacific Northwest near Seattle, where she grew up. Um, mostly because she wanted to be near her family and I wanted to have time to write, uh, really to get serious about my own writing. The journalism thing for me was always great, but I always knew I wanted to write novels and write fiction. So we moved out here and about four or five years ago, I got really serious about writing fiction. Um, I also got a job teaching part-time English at a small college out here. So I teach English and I write and, uh, I've got, few books out now more coming and i'm sure we'll talk about those but that's kind of the short version of my story now my day-to-day is teaching english i uh, host the writer 2.0 podcast and spend a lot of time with my kids and a lot of time writing and promoting my books the, your, your journalism background is, is so fascinating because a couple of my favorite authors like the big you know like uh, john sanford and michael connelly were journalists right um, do you find i mean is that the what you learn as a journalist, is that something that you applied to your writing today, to writing fiction? Absolutely. And and 
deep down, even when I went to journalism school and was doing journalism, I kind of knew uh, I really want to be writing novels at some point, and I got to find a way to do that. But it was great training because there's a few things you learn. One is you get exposed to a lot of different parts of the world that you wouldn't normally be exposed to. And I don't just mean traveling. I mean more like you get to get in a lot of rooms that you normally wouldn't get to get into, like behind the scenes in you know political things or getting into prisons to write stories, things like that, that uh, just places that aren't accessible to non-journalists. So that's really cool. But the other part is just learning how to write on deadline. When you've got a story and you have an hour and it has to be 700 words long and you have to turn it in or you're fired, you just learn how to write really fast and you learn how to write with a schedule and you learn how to not just wait until you feel creative in order to write because you just have to do it uh, and not to downplay the creative side. There's a ton of creative side too, but that for me was really good training because I was a really big procrastinator for a long time and I still, I still can be from time to time. But the, just the ability to sit down and say, okay, I'm going to write my 2,000 words before breakfast today, uh, that training really for me was the most valuable part of journalism. Do you use your skills like, the, when, you, like when you're doing research and like to interviewing people? I mean, is that something that you, you're able to do with your training? That to let- yeah, I think it is. You know, when you're doing journalism, you get rejected quite a bit when you ask people for interviews and they say no, or in most cases, they just never respond to you. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're a freelance journalist and you're pitching stories and trying to get, you're trying to write stories and magazines and newspapers and editors just reject you most of the time. And that's really good training for being a writer. And I think especially for the marketing side of writing and the networking side of writing, it's really useful just to kind of go forward with a somewhat fearless attitude. Like I'll probably get rejected eight times out of 10, but that's okay. Uh, you're just used to that. So I think that that is really useful because uh, starting my podcast, you know, I thought, well, I'm just going to ask the biggest name writers I know to come on my podcast and talk, talk about writing. And most of them said no, but some really big name thriller and crime authors said yes. And I think that the journalism training for me helped me just get used to the fact that eh, I'm going to get rejected a lot of the time, but it's the two out of 10 who say yes that are going to stick. And that's what matters great that was something that i had to learn the hard way too at first i was intimidated at asking people to be on the on this podcast right uh now i'm after doing it for almost two years or well, a year and a half now i've gotten used to it but yeah so you started right off from the beginning that I, I know i'm gonna get rejected so i'm just gonna start asking whereas i i slowly got the courage <laughs> yeah no i was just thinking like i don't know i why not throw it out there and and the and the, the funny thing is most of the time you don't even get rejected in my experience most yeah. of the time i just never heard back mm-hmm. and you, I think of it like the authors, like I'm a very, I'm a small time author compared to a lot of the people I was asking and I can barely keep up with my email and my Facebook messages and all that stuff. Like I barely have time to get it all in. I can't even imagine how big name authors do it. Some of them have assistance, but so I just don't take it personally. If they never write back, eh, I might try again, try again. Yeah. I've tried Walter Mosley about 12 times. His, his assistant said yes. And then he got sick, and then a bunch of things happened, and I'm still trying two years later to get Walter Mosley. Oh, that'd be an awesome one! Yeah, I'm looking, yeah. looking forward to that one. <laughs> we'll yeah. see. It's I don't I don't think it's happening. He stopped returning my emails. But <laughs> hey, you never I'm know. Keep trying. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's what I learned too. Most, yeah, like you said, a couple never never replied, and that's fine. And and actually, I had a couple who who said no, but they were very cool about it. They like 
emailed me back. I was like, oh, that's really nice of them. You know, like, oh, I don't like doing interviews or I'm just way too busy. Sorry. But um, so yeah, it's not that it's not that bad to get rejected. <laughs> yeah. So um, so can you tell us a little bit now about your series? Uh, the first book is out, right? That's the anonymous source. Right. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about this whole this media thriller uh, subgenre and what it's all about and about Alex Vane and, and yeah, so I've got the anonymous source came out with a small publisher about a year and a half ago and my publisher ended up going out of business. And so now I have re-released the exact same book myself. And I just came out with a novella called the cut line, which is a prequel to the anonymous source. And, you know, because of my journalism background and my media background teaching at NYU, I just love that world. I think it is really good world for thrillers and for mysteries and really for any kind of books, just because I think it's a really important part of the world that it's useful to think about how the media works and how journalism works. So I wanted to combine my interest in that with my interest in fast paced thrillers. And so I wrote the anonymous source and the, uh, the sequel, actually the next two in the series are already written. They're in editing now and are coming out over the next six months, the inverted pyramid and the mockingbird drive. But they're, I would say they are, they're thrillers that I, I don't exactly know what to call them, mainstream thrillers, political thrillers. They're, they're not the kind of thrillers where, uh, like Lee Child style, where there's a guy who can kill five people with his bare hands. I like those books. That's just not the kind of book I write. They're more um, an average guy who gets wrapped up in media conspiracies and all sorts of weird things going on and has to use more of his intellect rather than his brute strength. So they're not super dark. There's not like torture or serial killers. They're not paranormal. They're more, I don't exactly know what to call them. You know, like legal, like legal thrillers a little bit, except set in the media world instead of the legal world. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking about when I was uh, uh, reading it. Is uh, kind of like uh, John Grisham, I mean, like the firm type of a thing. Right, yeah. So I would say that's some people have compared them to John Grisham. I think my writing style is pretty different than his, but the the things that are similar are more like you've got an average guy just trying to live his life. And in my case, it's a journalist trying to do his job, and he gets wrapped up in this conspiracy where there is murder and there is high stakes, but he's not uh, kind of like an ex-military badass going out to kill people with his bare hands mm. uh, so yeah I would the, the, the comparisons to the earlier John Grisham stuff probably make sense in terms of the, the way the story is and yeah it's just a world that I really like to write about and I think you know to me it's always been important and I think more and more people these days especially in the United States are understanding the importance of the media and how it works and understanding how it works because of the last election and just sort of looking at the big picture of what's going on in the world. And there's a lot of distrust of media, both from all sides, really. And so uh, one of the things I wanted to do in this series was to chronicle the changes in media. So the anonymous source is set in 2002, the inverted pyramid is set in 2004, and the mockingbird drive is set in 2017. So the backdrop is the, the changes that happened in the newspaper business, the television news business, and then, of course, now in the social media world and just how, how all of that is changing. Um, but, of course, it's all that's a backdrop to a fast-paced thriller where this journalist is figuring out who got killed and why. Yeah, I was going to say, your timing seems really, really good, like like you were mentioning with the whole fake news and journalists getting arrested at protests. So it's kind of an interesting time, so it's going to be a good time for uh, for this type of uh, uh, subgenre. Yeah, the, the novella I just published, it's it's actually a prequel to The Anonymous Arts. It's set in 2000, and about 
the this journalist Alex Vane, who gets his first major scoop, his first uh, week on the job as a court reporter in New York City, and his first major scoop thrusts him into stardom, and then it turns out that the scoop is not exactly what he thought it was, and all sorts of things come out of that. And uh, it definitely is relevant to the whole fake news thing that's going on, except in a slightly different form. You know, before the internet was was uh, had kind of taken over as it has now. And uh, do you, were you a fan of uh, thrillers as a uh, as a reader before you started writing the uh, fiction? I was, yeah, and I still am. I read a lot of different stuff, but you know, I grew up reading when I was, I think, eleven, twelve is when John Grisham kind of took off with his books and became kind of a household name right around those years. So I read him when I was eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen in that age. Um, I also read a lot of you know, more literary fiction, short stories, novels, nonfiction. Uh, there's some, some, uh, modern thriller writers that I like, particularly the writing style. So I like Lee Child's writing style quite a bit. Um, that, that kind of first person voice he uses in a lot of his books, uh, Roger Hobbs, who is similar to Lee Child's who tragically passed away just a few months ago. Um, his ghost man series, I enjoy quite a bit. Um, they're not very much like my books in terms of the content or the story, but the writing style is a little more similar. The kind of terse, fast-paced writing style, I like that. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed the Millennium Trilogy, uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, mm. that trilogy. Uh, that also would fall into the media thriller uh, category, I think, if there was such a category. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the whole billionaire uh, framing the journalist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, the poet uh, is a good, another good one featuring journalist. Um, I don't know. We got to we got to start a little campaign. Get this category added to Amazon. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it'll be like the the, the forerunner, <laughs> the yeah, the godfather of the media uh, genre. <laughs> well, I, there's other people who do it, but for me, it's like my main thing. Every yeah. single book I have, and I'm, I've got a bunch more in the works. They're all centered around that uh, journalist media world, and of course, the the more current ones are more based around media websites rather than newspaper reporters. Because as we know, newspaper reporters are kind of becoming less and less and less of a thing and mm -hmm. becoming less influential. Yeah, it's, that is amazing what's going to happen in the future. You know, I'm uh, I'm in my uh, late 40s, so you know, newspaper reporters. I mean, it was just they were the they were the, the where you went for your news and everything, and they were you looked up you looked up at them and stuff. And now it's kind of like it's all these bloggers and stuff. It's just so weird. <laughs> it's really weird. I mean, it's it's changing so fast we can barely keep up with it. But that's part of the reason I like to write books about it. Is like it gives me the excuse to try to think deeply about what's going on in the world and try to bring a little understanding to it. I wouldn't say I understand it, but <laughs> it at least gives me a chance to think about it and try to slow down a little bit and say, wait a second, what's going on here? Yeah, and what and what inspired you to write your first uh, fiction book? Your uh, what was the like the catalyst? I said I'm going to give it a shot now. Good question. I mean, it was it's kind of an amazing story actually. I was 30 one or 32 i was i had moved out here with my wife thinking i was going to write i was actually write, trying to write nonfiction. then i went to a thanksgiving day party with her extended family 
Uh, we stayed overnight at this place. There was about 50 of her extended family there. I woke up the next morning. I'd had a little bit too much wine the night before, I would say. Mm-hmm. The next morning, I'm sitting around at the table drinking coffee, trying to wake up, and my uncle-in-law sits down next to me and uh, with his teenage daughter, who was trying to write poetry. And she said, uh, or he said, you should talk to AC. He's a writer. And I said, uh, not really, because I was still kind of writing on and off like doing a little bit, then taking a break for a month or losing steam or procrastinating. So, you know, it was kind of that moment when he said, AC is a writer, you should uh, talk to him about writing. And I noticed I didn't think of myself as a writer at all, even though it was literally my job. I was teaching writing at a small college for a living. I had written lots of parts of books and then kind of quit each time, uh, which is what a, a lot of writers do for a long time. And so then four days after that, I started work on the anonymous source. And I don't know why, but it just stuck that time. I said, I'm not going to quit no matter what. I'm going to finish this book and see what happens. And it turned out I had already written a lot. So, you know, it wasn't wasn't that hard to actually finish a book. And then after that, it just took off from there. The book did pretty well and is still doing pretty well. And I just feel like I have so many books I want to write. I just hope I live long enough to write them mm-hmm. all. Um, but it was just kind of, there was an internal switch that just had to flip where I said, okay, no matter how hard this is, I'm just going to try and, you know, keep, keep going this time. And it worked. And so your first book, you went through the the traditional route, you like sent query letters and all that, and all that process. I did. Yeah. I, uh, man, I got rejected by like a hundred agents, uh, for the anonymous source, uh, two agents were really close to signing. I was really close to signing with them. And basically what they said was, two said almost the same thing. I could probably sell this book, but I'm not 100% sure I can sell this book. And I only sign on to books that I'm 100% sure I can sell. Uh, that's what two different agents told me. One also told me that the um, there's a, the main character, Alex, has a love interest who's also a, really a main character named Camilla in the anonymous source and she's a little older than him and one agent told me can you make her younger and blonde (laughs) and you know I just wasn't into that Um, she's a complicated character and I think you know what a lot of people they're looking for stories that have a slightly more I don't know what the word is traditional sexist (laughs) vibe to them maybe Uh, and they just weren't into the that part of it so yeah, I went through that whole process and it was actually good. I got a lot of good feedback from a couple editors at big publishers and one agent and made the book as good as I can. And then I ended up getting a small publisher without an agent, um, a small Seattle-based publisher who ended up putting it out. And then the, that the book did pretty well. And then they announced 11 months later that they were going out of business. Oh. So luckily the, the rights reverted back to me and I, I kept control of the book, which doesn't always happen when your publisher goes out of business. But uh, it was a good process. And now uh, I'm thrilled that I'm self-publishing just because I'm already making more money than I was with the publisher. And, and, and the great thing about making more money is it frees me up to write more books, which is what it's all about. Yeah, now you don't have to get a, yeah, you don't have to make a big uh, give a big slice to the to the publisher and to an agent. So that's that's a nice must be a nice yeah. difference. <laughs> Having I mean I I am friends with some traditionally published authors who have great publishers and they love it and I'm also friends with some traditionally published authors 
who hate their publisher, although they they won't say this publicly. They always tell me this after I stop recording on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> who hate their publishers and you know their publishers take their books, take most of the money, and then don't market it, and their career stall, et cetera, et cetera. That's a whole story, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, so it's a crapshoot. There's just all sorts of different experiences out there, but I'm pretty happy with how it worked out. Yeah, that's a, uh, I have a friend who was traditionally published. She, she said the same thing. Was that the it was a smaller press, and they she was expected to do all the heavy lifting anyway when it came down to marketing and stuff. So didn't kind of in the end, that's why she went self publishing. She said, "Well, I'm doing all the." All, the, all that work anyway. <laughs> exactly. That's two different publishers offered to republish the anonymous source um, before I decided to self-publish it. I got two different offers and both of them, you know, the companies were really small publishers and I was like, well, what exactly are you going to do other than take half of the money? And they didn't have much marketing or distribution clout. And for me, that's really what I was looking for. So, um, they didn't have much to offer me, so why bother? There are some publishers I'd love to work with out there. They're mm-hmm. just—it's—it's it's really not a world where you want a publisher at any cost if you're a writer. And uh, so, uh, how do you like when you're writing your books? Do you set like a daily goal of uh, like word count or? I do. Yeah. Um, lately, it it keeps going up. Um, That's a good know, thing. <laughs> it's very good. When I wrote the anonymous source, my goal was to write. 500 words a day on average, so 3,500 words a week, because uh, I thought, okay, that's manageable. Now I try to write about 2,500 words a day when I'm writing a new project, um, So, which is you know faster than some people, slower than other people. Um, but yeah, about 2,500 words a day. I'm not, uh, there are some periods where I'm not writing at all. Like right now, I'm in a big push to format uh, and promote and edit books so i'm not writing 2500 words a day now but when i move on to my next project that's what i'll be aiming at and what do you use to write your books uh you use like word or you use like a writing software yeah i use scrivener which okay. is writing software uh, which has been great for me um and sometimes i will write wherever i am you know i'll text myself two paragraphs or speak into a dictation thing if i'm out at the beach with my kids and they're playing or I'll write on a napkin or on paper and then put it all into Scrivener to organize it. But I love Scrivener because I tend to write books that rely on a certain amount of structure. Uh, mysteries and thrillers often have, you know, they're, they're fairly tightly structured in a lot of cases and Scrivener is good for being able to restructure books and drag and drop things and move scenes and chapters around and things like that. So I, I like Scrivener. Yeah, that's what I used to. And yeah, and that's the my, that's my favorite feature. You know, like okay, I just came up with a different idea and I'm gonna have to move this chapter over here and you just drag and drop it. <laughs> exactly. And if you're writing books where it's like, you know, things really have to happen in the right order, um, it's for me, it's good to be able to look at a visual interface of like, oh yeah, okay, that happens in chapter 23, and then look back at chapter 11, and to kind of be able to see it all laid out and not have a huge cork board in my house is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so you're doing the formatting yourself or do you outsource that or I am I just learned formatting literally last week oh, <laughs> I <wow. learned> formatting <laughs> um, I bought a program called vellum v-e-l-l-u-m and mm-hmm. it's uh, it's expensive program but I know I'm going to be doing a lot of books so I bought that and it's surprisingly easy to use and I'm kind of a control freak and a perfectionist both with the writing and the, and the formatting and so um, it's useful to be able to do it myself. Mm-hmm. So I, I just decided to, to learn it and 
I put out the cut line um, just three days ago. It came out, and I did all the formatting on that myself, and I think it looks pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I like your covers too. Did you do you did you do those or you have? I do not. I do not do those visually. I am I'm partially colorblind, and if I did a cover, it would look like absolute garbage. <laughs> so no, I have a cover designer who does all that for me. I have input, obviously, mm-hmm. and uh, I have a, a team of people I ask for feedback about the different covers, but um, I'm not able to design anything it would look so amateurish if i designed a cover it would be comical yeah yeah that's uh, best leave that to the uh, professionals if you don't have that talent uh, exactly I'm the same way <laughs> yeah It'd be like it can the- it can get up there's some ugly covers out there and i feel bad for people because it's just it's so important to have a good cover if you want to sell books yeah 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 it absolutely is that's what gets everyone's attention you know especially with all the different promo sites like um you know like uh like bookbub uh that's when i i, I I get the the thrillers, and the first thing I do is I just scan through the email, and the covers is what grabs my attention. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And uh, we, we talked a little bit before we uh, I hit the recording. So you have a big promo coming up, uh, right, with uh, BookBub? I do. Yeah. On June uh, uh, January thirtieth, I have a BookBub promotion. But listeners to your show, if they're listening to this on either the thirtieth or thirty first of January, they can go get the anonymous source for free. Uh, on Amazon, if they're an Amazon person on a Kindle, they can just go get it. It'll be 100% free, no strings attached, January 31st and 30th. That's Monday and Tuesday. Um, so that's pretty cool. And then it will be back up to full price by Wednesday morning. Oh, yeah, that's perfect because uh, this is uh, we're on t- Thursday, but uh, this podcast will air on Tuesday morning. So if you're listening to this, you better, you gotta got to move quickly. But yeah, because uh, usually it's three ninety nine, so that's a pretty nice savings. It is, yeah, and it's uh, you know, it's it's a pretty good book. I think people mm-hmm. seem to like it, uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, I want to I want to get it into as many hands as possible. Now that I have uh, the sequel, the inverted pyramid is up for pre order, and then the, the cut line is also out. If people read the anonymous source and like it, they can find out what Alex Vane was up to a couple years before the events in the anonymous source. Yeah, that's great. And do you find, like, does your personality, does it make it into your characters? And is, is a little bit of you and Alex Vane? I would say yes. Uh, the, the two main characters in The Anonymous Source are Alex and Camilla. And I would say there's parts of me that are, are really both of them. Uh, parts of me made it into both of those characters. Um, there's many ways I'm not like either of them. <laughs> but that there's little bits that, that made it in. I mean, obviously... On kind of a more superficial level, Alex is a journalist in New York City, and I was once a journalist in New York City, though I never had the job he had. I was more of a freelance, part-time kind of journalist. But there are some other elements. I would say his uh, ability to write fairly quickly, his his interest in getting to the bottom of things, uh, definitely I share. And when you start to get ready to write your books, I mean, do you uh, do you have like are you a big outliner, or, or do you just kind of just start writing? I uh, with the anonymous source I just started writing uh, other books I've tried to outline not as much in detail as some people do but I I outline the big story points I usually have them roughly mapped out in my head uh, not not just in my head I write them down you know usually I have about 12 major turning points or sections in a book each one might be around 30 pages in a finished book and you know, there's just big twists and turns that I'm aiming at, and sometimes those change as I'm writing. But I do have those mapped out pretty well before I start, usually. 
And uh, so you said you already have two more of uh, the Alex Vane's thrillers that will be published this later on this year. Is that what you're working on right now? Yeah, they're both written already. Actually, um, I'm work I'm editing right now. Um, but the inverted pyramid is going to be book two. I'm calling the cut line book zero because it's a it's a novella and it's a prequel. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's it's good. It's just kind of off to the side a little bit. But book two is going to be the inverted pyramid. Book three is going to be the mockingbird drive. Both of those are already written. They're just in editing, and they're going to come out in April and then in July of twenty seventeen. Oh wow! So yeah, you 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 have it all organized. I, I, and I just uh, took a look at Amazon. I see you already have the inverted pyramid for sale. Uh, it is. Uh, yep. The pre-orders are already up, and they're already uh, moving out the door. So. People are waiting for that book. Uh, you know, because my publisher went out of business, that book was supposed to come out months ago. But when my publisher went out of business, that threw everything for a loop. So yeah. I'm excited to finally get it out. Yeah. How do you how, how do you like the uh, the the pre-ordering the pre-order process? I, I I'm too chicken to try that out. But I guess that's with your with your background and your training that, that helps you out with the deadlines. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it definitely adds some pressure to it um, because <laughs> I really better get it out now. Um, but I like the pre-order process. I think it depends uh, strategically. It depends on just what you're trying to do in terms of marketing, but I like it because for example, with this BookBub promotion I have coming up, there's going to be, you know, if it goes like my last one, you know, 40 to 60,000 people will download the book in 24 hours and a lot of them are going to read it. And some of them are going to like it enough to want to go buy the sequel so I'd rather have the sequel up and available while their attention is on it so that they can go find it and pre-order it. And then April 23rd, it will just download to their device automatically. Uh, whereas last time when I had a book bub, I didn't have any pre-orders up. I didn't have any other books up or anything out. So people read the book. They liked it. And they said, damn, why isn't there a sequel out? Where's the sequel? You know, get the sequel out. <laughs> So now I actually, you know, even though the book is not 100% done yet, it's going to be on time. And, you know, that's just, uh, it's a nice way to keep people's attention and give them something else to go grab while they're enjoying the first book. Yeah, I was just looking at the, uh, one of your reviews. And this is going to be the coolest uh, blurb for review that I've ever seen. Uh, read the literary equivalent of heroin. <laughs> yes. How awesome that was, is that? That's my favorite sentence, and I have no idea who that was. That's just a random Amazon reviewer, but I took that out, and I put it on all my stuff now. Because, yeah, I don't blame you. That's a, that's a cool line. <laughs> I, you know, that's a lot of people have said it's addictive because I write fairly short chapters, fairly fast, uh, a lot of stuff happening fairly quickly, and my writing style has been called terse or um, you know short. There's not going to be a three-paragraph description of a sunset in one of my books, <laughs> most likely. At least nothing I've written, you know, which is pretty typical for thrillers. They're fairly fast-paced, a lot of going on. So, yeah, I love that someone uh, compared it to heroin only in the sense of that it's addictive and makes you feel good, I think. Yes, yes, yes. We don't encourage anybody to go try heroin. <laughs> Not at all. But no, no, I mean, I think that reviewer meant it in the sense of, yeah, that uh, she or he got hooked and um, hopefully they'll get hooked on the rest of the series. I'm really excited to get these next ones out. Yeah. And then, so what's your plan uh, uh, long term? Are, are you going to continue writing in the, this uh, this series? Yeah, you know, I have, uh, I've got like as many books in this series as I could possibly want, you know, the, the third book, the mockingbird drive is set in 2017. 
in Seattle and Las Vegas, and it definitely opens up the possibility for a lot more books in the series. Uh, so I'll definitely continue with this series, but I also have another series which I have not even written the first book of yet, but I'm mapping out another series that is going to be a, th- a thriller, uh, again, similar, a political journalistic thriller, more and more political uh, in the sense that it's more centered around uh, politics and probably the 2020 election and social media. And I can't say too much about it yet because it's still kind of in the infancy phase but my goal is to get the first book in that series out by the end of 2017 also. So the, the Mockingbird Drive will be the third Alex Vane novel in July. And then I'm hoping by maybe the fall, October-ish, to get the first in this new series out, um, which I'm so excited about. Like I, I, this, this series is keeping me up at night. I just can't wait to write it. Oh, I love but that feeling. I have to stay disciplined and finish the editing and proofing and formatting of these other books because, you know, obviously I want them to be as, as good as possible. So I've got a few months of work ahead of me before I can really turn my attention to that. But uh, that will be coming too. So from the time you start to write the the book, the first draft, to the time that it's available for sale, and, uh, for sale how long does that, does that process usually take you? So, man, it's so different now than it was with with the anonymous source. You know, it took me five months to write the first draft, and then I edited it for over a year, multiple drafts, multiple readers, paid edit. I paid an editor, you know, submissions to agents. It took just forever. Now I've just I just keep getting faster and faster, and with the control of self publishing, everything is faster. So the cut line I wrote that it's a twenty five thousand word novella. I wrote that in eight days. Um, and then edited uh, for about a week, uh, really serious editing. I had three beta readers and then an editor slash proofreader. And the whole thing from start to when it hit Amazon was something like 24 days for a 25,000 word novella, uh, which is you know a lot faster than other things have been for me and still slower than what other people do. That's amazing for me. For, <laughs> I'm like, it's, wow. It's amazing for me too. It's just way faster than I've ever done anything. I did not think I could do that. Mm-hmm. And you know, writing I, that, that eight days, I wrote about 3,000 words a day, roughly. And what I was surprised by was just that I just, it gets easier. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the most thing. And also, a novella is a simpler, more contained story, so there wasn't as much research involved as there is in some of my books, so it went pretty fast, but I don't know. I, I think that once I have these next two books out, I, I'm really thinking I'll be able to do a full-length book in 10 weeks, I would say, from when I first start writing to when it comes out, probably uh, a month to write a first draft at you know 3,000 words a day for a month. And then a month of editing and proofing, and then a month of formatting, cover design, etc. Uh, or, or more like two weeks of formatting, cover design, etc. Um, so I, I think that I'll be able to do a full-length book every eight to ten weeks is my idea, and possibly faster. You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm I don't like to sacrifice on quality, and so for me, I can't put anything out that hasn't had at least five or seven readers mm-hmm. and a professional editor and proofreader. Um, just because you know, I'm an English teacher, I can't stand errors and things like that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but 
uh, at the same time, it just uh, I think the sky's the limit. I'm getting a lot faster, and that's exciting for me. So how do you handle when you, when you start getting back comments from different readers? Do you do you, do you use like word like the the tracking um, the comments and and things like that? Is that how you keep track of the of of the beta readers? Yeah. So this. This last time with the cut line, I tried something new, which I stole from Michael Anderley, who is a sci-fi writer who I know you know. Mm -hmm. um, he does. He uses Google Docs, and I decided to try Google Docs. So I took my whole book, which is you know roughly a hundred-ish pages, the cut line. I put it up on Google Docs, and I shared it with three people who had volunteered to beta read it and my wife who is one of my editors she's not i pay an editor too but she's sort of my first editor um and they all were reading it at the same time and making comments at the same time so it was a very quick process they all read it in a couple days and then i spent probably one day of about 14 hours going through the comments and line by line rewriting stuff fixing stuff fixing typos um, sometimes they would just say something like, yeah, this is kind of weak, this sentence or this paragraph, and I figure out how to improve it. Uh, so that's how I did it with this last one, and it worked pretty well. There's a, I think I'm going to try the same process uh, the next time I have a book get beta read. Um, the last time I did it, it was much more haphazard than that. You know, I sent it out to 10 different people in 10 different formats, and it was just a huge pain in the butt to reconcile all their comments. Yeah, that's what I struggle with with beta readers. Uh, I really, really like that uh, when you describe that Google Docs process. I'm going to uh, probably try that myself as well because, yeah, I, was, I got overwhelmed. All of a sudden, all these different Word docs out floating around with different comments and stuff. I was like, oh, how did I consolidate all this? <laughs> Yeah, and it, it, it is overwhelming. I mean, and it was still, I would say it was still almost overwhelming the way that I just <laughs> did it. It was still because, you know, one person couldn't use Google Docs, so I, I sent her the, the, the book in Microsoft Word, so her comments were separate, and they were really good comments. Like, everyone's comments are useful, and you want to take them all seriously, but kind of keeping it all straight in your head and, and really being clear that you're improving the book and not making it worse when you're taking these suggestions is important and so it was still that part is just hard for me there's no way around it you know it, that part is just a tough part of the process yeah all right well uh ac i'm not going to take too much more of your time here but um I want to encourage your listeners also to go visit your site. I've been uh, looking at it. you got a lot of great information. It's acfuller.com because you have a lot of cool info for writers as well because I know a lot of uh, my, our listeners are, are also writers or aspiring writers. And you have a, a great podcast as well. I've been listening to a, a couple of your episodes. So um, do you, do you, are you, are you active uh, on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff? Yeah, I'm on, on Facebook and Twitter at acfullerauthor, uh, both places. And... Yeah, the podcast is on my website, acfuller.com. It's on iTunes. It's really a podcast for writers, not just thriller writers, but I interview writers from all different genres, although it probably leans a little more toward thrillers uh, just because that's what I write. But I've had romance writers, nonfiction writers, all sorts of writers on there. And yeah, it's just the writing business, the writing craft, all sorts of good stuff. Yeah. So uh, before I let you go, do you have any advice for our aspiring writers that are listening to this? My number one piece of advice is always just start immediately, um, right when you're done listening to this podcast, or even pause the podcast and start immediately, and just start trying to write consistently. 
if that's something that you've struggled with. Not everyone struggles with that, but I always did. And I always, I regret how many years I let go by that I wasn't writing consistently because I felt bad that my writing wasn't good enough or that my writing was, you know, too amateurish or too, I don't I can't think of the word, but there was also all, all sorts of to this, to that with my writing. And it kept me from actually doing it. And doing it is the number way to get number one way to get better. And so I would just say, put down everything, start immediately. If you can set a small word goal of 200 words a day, 500 words a day, a thousand words a day, whatever's re- realistic, do that and try to stick with it. Um, or, or a weekly word goal, if you can't write every day. And that's the number one way to get better and and just do it. And then also listen to podcasts like this to start learning about the business because that a lot of people don't write because they're afraid of the business. And the more you can learn about the business, I think the better uh, it'll free you up to write what you really want to write you know, if you're not not avoiding the business side of it. Yep, that's good advice because both of us are important, the writing and the business part. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And uh, unfortunately, and maybe fortunately, the days of writing a book and sending it off to an agent who takes care of everything are, they're not over, but they're mostly over. Yeah. Um, and so it does still happen. It's just getting rarer and rarer. But the, the bright side is that the control and the power of self-publishing is really insane right now, where people are going from non-writers to having a really good career in 12 months in two years sometimes and that's uh, a huge positive that's going on in the book world right now yep it's exciting times that's for sure <laughs> all right uh, ac thank you so much uh, again for being on the podcast i appreciate it it was real nice talking to you it's great talking to you thanks for having me alan thank you for listening to this episode of meet the thriller author you can uh, learn more about the, this podcast and about future interviews over at the website at uh, www.thrillingreads.com forward slash podcast. And if you haven't done so yet, I'd like to invite you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Uh, you can do it on Stitcher or you can do it uh, by email uh, over at the uh, website. I'd also like to invite you to uh, join the mailing list so you never miss an episode. And I'd also like to invite you to visit my author page at uh, Facebook, uh, Alan Peterson Books, and also my website, alanpeterson.com. 